0: Well, today we come to that little phrase in the Apostles' Creed that has made many a a Protestant choke a little bit when it is recited. And I I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, the first Sunday that we were in this series, which is some time ago now, I I did offer an explanation as I was saying we'd be reciting the creed each week in the series and explained this is not at all an affirmation of faith in the Roman Catholic Church, a Catholic in the... In the creed that we've been reciting, it's, it's lowercase, which means it's not Catholic in that Roman Catholic way, but it, it just simply means general or universal. And so we're, when it's lowercase, it's simply affirming our our belief in the, the, the universal church that spans geography and time, uh, one church. And so there's no worries, nothing to be concerned about, as uh, with the wording of the Apostles' Creed. Those, that's, a, that's a good, sound, biblical very Protestant affirmation in the creed. And so I, uh, but I know if you weren't here that week, and if you've missed some of those disclaimers, you may still have struggled with that. But we're clarifying that today for sure. Now, the church is not the object of our faith in the same way that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is the object of our faith. When we say we believe in God, we're saying we rest our total trust, confidence in Him. Now, that, that, that's different than when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But what we're saying is, is essentially we believe such a church exists. That's what we're believing. And so our belief in the church is very different from our belief in God. That said, we do believe in the church as God has revealed this truth about the church. And so we believe God's purpose and design is not to create and to redeem isolated individual um, independent Christians alone. But his, 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 his rather, it's to form this redeemed society, a, a brotherhood, a fellowship, a community, the church. That's what we're affirming. This is part of the salvation that God has planned from eternity past. And so that, that salvation, salvation uh, of an individual without incorporation into the church, that's a foreign idea in Scripture. It just—you cannot find that. This is just part of it. Acts two forty-seven is as people are saved, trusting in Christ. They're they're added to the church. This is this is what it it is. And so we're talking about the church today. Now, even the word church—I let's define that real quick—and we'll move move forward. What is the church that we say we believe in? Our English word church comes from a very old Danish German word, which is kirk. And that old—I'm giving you a little etymology lesson here. Don't worry, we won't linger here. But that word it is, is based upon an old Greek word uh, that, that is um, kurioikoi, kurioiko, excuse me. And that, and that just simply means our Lord's house or household. That's not a, that's not a New Testament Greek word. And so, um, but the, the, the Greek word in the New Testament that we translate at church is ekklesia. That just simply means called out ones. Those who've been called out. In, in secular usage, it was used of a, of a public assembly that was called out and heralded. The herald would call out a group of people to assemble from the citizenry. So you see this in Acts chapter 19 of the riots at Ephesus. There was this assembly, this ecclesia that was there and rioting. And, but but per, the predominant use of this word in the New Testament is in reference to God's people called out from this world, by Jesus Christ to himself, the church. And that's what we're looking at. So we're looking in 1 Peter 2 this morning. We were in 1 Peter 2 uh, a little over a year ago. And I know none of you ever miss Sundays. and, and, And every one of you remembers everything that I ever preach. And so I'm very thankful for that. And that gives me some freedom today to not try to cover everything we covered then. I'm not foolish or naive to believe that. But in about... 25 minutes we're going to cover what we covered in three weeks uh, back in our series in first peter so it's going to all i want to do is i I, I, we're not going to be able to go in real detail in this passage but i want to just kind of as i've been sifting it this week there are four features of the church that i think have really stood out and kind of risen to the top and we'll go through those this morning so first the church is a singular community it's a singular community it's one. Now, of course, we use the word church, and it's used in the New Testament to, to refer to local churches, those, those, those uh, local Christian communities. Those are the plural churches the church in Philemon's house, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Ephesus, and on and on. And, and that is a, a use of the word of the church, but it's also used in Scripture of the sum total of all Christians. So Jesus says, I will build my church, singular. Even Paul, he's persecuting the church of God. Well, there's one. And so, the, the, this feature of the singularity of the church, it's clear in the creed. And so, it's the Holy Catholic Church, singular. It's the communion, singular, of saints. And so, the focus in the creed and, the, and this passage we're looking at this morning, it's, it's not on the local churches, but it's on the church, singular. There's one church, one body of Christ, this one church includes all Christians and all local churches crossing boundaries of time and geography. And so, so that's what we're saying. This, this is a singular church, singular community. Now, there's a couple of things that relate to that, and this first statement may sound like I'm saying the opposite, but, but a couple of ways we can, can think wrongly about this. And, and, and one is this don't make singular what's plural. Don't make singular what's plural. This is what I mean. We can read passages like this, and we can read ourselves into them as individual Christians. So this is God's love letter to me. That's how some people view the Bible. I understand what you mean. That's not probably a very good statement. And so that's not what this passage is. This passage begins in verse 4 with this address to you. And this, in most of, uh, there, 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 a lot of this is written in second person here, this passage that Thomas just read. And so in Greek, the you here is plural. We would say in English, in the South, y'all. If you're from Philadelphia, you'd say you guys or something like that. Which I'm sorry if you were born in Philadelphia, but, um, but, but this, is, this is the language. We don't have an English Uh, second person plural pronoun so we just say you or y'all in our case and I'll probably say y'all a lot this morning just to make this clear in our minds but because individualism is so dominant is so rife not just in the wider culture but in the church we, we often want to read passages like this as if they're written to us individually, like it's, it's written to us singularly. But this passage isn't about you as an individual and, and, and what you are called to as an individual Christian. This is about y'all. This is about us and what, and what we are called to as a community. And so as we read this passage, when you hear you, think y'all. That's not a problem for most of y'all. Um... You can draw it out in your mind as long as you want, that y'all. But, so as y'all come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, y'all, yourselves, plural, like living stones, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house, singular. So that's the first thing. We don't, we don't want to make singular what is plural, but the other side of that is we don't want to make plural what's singular. And so all those plural living stones are being made into this spiritual house, singular. So Peter's writing to these Christians and, and without going, being able to go into all the detail of the context of this letter, these Christians who have been dispersed and spread widely uh, throughout all these different Roman provinces in what we call now Asia Minor today. And so, and so he says, although you, you are many and though you are scattered all around, you, y'all, are being built into a... A spiritual house. It goes on, you're one race. You are one priesthood, one nation, one people of God. And so there's this real, fundamental, essential unity among Christians, even though we're scattered around the globe and span generations. That's what he's saying. So, of course, we all know there are divisions in the church, aren't there? Divisions in the church today more than just geographical, more than just generational, but 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 there, there there's a pretty good chance unless you live really close to the church uh, campus here, you passed multiple evangelical churches on your way to come here this morning, and and that's not unusual in this nation and particularly this part of the nation. So so the one church is splintered in many different fragments and many of those churches were in different denominations and and yet even so what what we're affirming in this creed is this is our faith in this essential unity of the church It's not willful blindness we're not oblivious it's not it's not wishful thinking and, I, and I'm not saying, we're not saying because the church is fragmented our, our goal is now to gloss over those differences and, and, and do away with denominations and we'll just all get along and come back together. That's, that's not the point. That's not going to happen until Christ returns. But what we're saying is, what we, what we believe is that despite our outward fragmentation, the church of Jesus Christ is indissolubly one. There is one flock... One Shepherd, and so this this incredible truth of this fundamental unity of the of the Church—it's it's unfolded fully in Ephesians four. We don't have time to go there this morning, but in, in that passage, Paul lists these seven seven unities, and he's just making it very clear for the minds of these believers in this particular local church, there's one body, there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. That's an awesome truth. A singular church, the singular communion of saints, which transcends space and time, encompasses the whole world, I mean, nobody other than God Himself can see or know the full extent of it now. But one day, one day we will. And and, and now we see division separation. God sees this unity and essential oneness clearly. But we believe in it. And one day faith will be sight. And so so what you find often in the New Testament is is this truth of the singular community. It's often applied... In the local church community. So, so Paul in particular will start with affirming this oneness of the church. There is one body of Christ. One faith. One Lord. One God and Father of all. And then he applies it and says. Now listen. In your local churches. Plural. Work that out. Pray for close fellowship and unity among the Christians in, in your churches because we believe this fundamental, essential unity already exists among all believers. Now that kind of unity with other believers, it's possible only because of this next feature of the church that we see in this passage. So the first church is a singular community. Second, the church is a spiritual community. It's a spiritual community. So verse 4 again, As y'all come to Christ... Trusting in Him, that that same Holy Spirit who who came on Jesus and now comes to live in y'all and to bring that resurrection of life uh, of Jesus into your life so that y'all are made like living stones in Him. That's the essence of what he's saying here. And then you don't remain individual living stones, but you are being built up into a spiritual house, a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So that means that the church is not a building. It doesn't, doesn't fundamentally exist as an organization on paper that we file some document with the state. It's not, it's not just a group of people who have kind of some common interests. No, the church is this new spiritual community. A community made of people born again by the Spirit of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God who've come through faith in the living stone, resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ. And so there's this, we're a spiritual community. There's this spiritual unity that comes to us by the Holy Spirit. This is why in the Creed we confess our faith in the Holy Spirit, and the very next thing is we believe in the Holy, Universal Catholic Church. Because the community, the church is this community in which the Spirit of God dwells. And in that sense, we are a spiritual community. The same Spirit. Dwells in every member of the community. And so there's this essential unity. The, the same spirit who dwells in me, dwells in you, dwells in our, our sister, who's, who's on her way to the, the little Haitian church right now, that assembly. And it, it's the same spirit. We're part of the same spiritual community. So for this reason, the church in this sense, this is why I think we confess, Lord, we believe in this holy Catholic church. It is, it is faith. It's not sight. Now I realize we can gather together and we can see a building and we can see people that are in the same room and we, okay, there's, we're observing ordinances and we're seeing the preaching of the word. There are these visible expressions of the church but the, the actual essence of our, of our unity and our oneness is spiritual and it's invisible. And so this is an affirmation of faith. We, we believe this is real. This exists. The spiritual community. And it's the Holy Spirit Himself who who is invisible, who lives inside of us, who unites us together. And then the other side of that is is we have now this spiritual identity. Identity. Look down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Remember, don't make singular What's plural? that That's not your identity as an individual. This is our identity as a church. This is But this is our God-given spiritual identity. This is who we are. I mean, outwardly, the church is made up of all kinds of different people. All different nations, different ethnicities, different cultures, different vocations, different locations. And, and those real external differences don't disappear the moment we trust Christ so that we all... Just kind of have look bland and look the same. That's not it. But God creates this essential spiritual oneness, despite all those exterior differences. So the church, we we exist in time and space in a physical world, but but fundamentally we don't owe our existence to physical realities. It It is most basically a spiritual community. And that's why the church can transcend cultural, national, ethnic, boundaries and any other boundaries. This is why the church can bring together those who were formerly not together and make a people who were those who were not a people. I mean you know you know our tendency. By nature we tend to break up. We tend to group with people who look like us, share our interests, share our culture, citizens of the same nation, share our ethnicity, and so this is this is how so groups form, factions form, and, and inevitably this is where conflicts Happen. But in the church, it's different. Because it's a spiritual community. The, those barriers are, are broken down. There's a, there's a new culture, a new nation, a new citizenship, a new ethnicity. That's, those are the words that Paul's using here, or Peter's using. Born of the Spirit, not of the flesh. And that's that's created. Now, that doesn't mean that when you come to the church, uh, you, you pretend you are no longer a citizen to an earthly country you renounce your citizenship that's not it it doesn't mean you deny everything about your native culture it doesn't mean you pretend you don't have uh, an ethnicity no but 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 it does mean those things become demoted your most fundamental identity is no longer physical because it is a spiritual community to which you are now joined who you are what makes you you is is now that you're part of the church in Christ and all of those other things are not unimportant but they become secondary so again we're not talking about blandness where we physically look the same and dress the same and have the same interests and listen to the same music and language, culture all of those things you know what I mean is there is a bond more substantial than those external similarities and it unites us together in Christ despite those, those differences and we can enjoy those differences then because we share this common spiritual bond in Christ. Doesn't our world need for us to get this and to be this? Wouldn't this be a fresh breath of air in this divided, um, hostile world? Everybody's fighting against each other. But what an awesome thing for Christians to see the church as this singular spiritual community that transcends cultural, national, ethnic, any barriers. This is who we are. This is what Peter says. He doesn't say, you're sort of like a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Uh, I can kind of see similarities, like a holy nation. No, he says, no, you are. Such you may become this one day. No, you are. You might. No, you, y'all are. You are this. And again, this ultimate reality is applied to local churches throughout the new testament and let me just think about this room this morning you've come from all different places around the metro area here you you've had different experiences this past week you you represent different ethnic cultural backgrounds we we have different church and theological backgrounds as people have come to be here in this gathering we have different people of all different education levels and socioeconomic levels and yet we're in this same place together on the lord's day And what joins us is not simply space and time. We just happen to be in the same building at the same time. No, if you are in Christ, this is an expression of the wider spiritual community. A singular church. And you are here whether you recognize it or not, whether you live like it or not, whether you feel it or not this morning. You are here intimately by grace, by God's sovereign choice, by the Spirit's uniting presence, and you are spiritually connected to everybody else in this room who is in christ that's a great that's a great reality that we need to hold on to and that should affect how we interact with one another shouldn't it that should change how we think about one another that we we are a spiritual community we are a communion a fellowship of saints and this local expression of the wider church third Moving quickly, the church is, is not just a singular community, just a spiritual community, but it's a set apart community. It's set apart. We're, we're affirming in the creed. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Those are big words. Holy saints. Uh, Peter saying the Peter in First Peter two. He's not just saying that the church is a singular, a, a spiritual nation. He says it's a holy nation. Now, if you have trouble expressing faith when we recite the creeds, expressing faith in the essential unity of the church because the church seems so fragmented, then I'm guessing you will probably also have trouble affirming and expressing faith in the sanctity of the church because the church seems so contaminated. I mean, the, the headlines every week there's another pastor, another Christian writer, another Christian comedian. And then there's this, 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 we, see this sin, we see the sin, we see the corruption within the church. And so we, but here we're affirming this is the holy church. This is, these are communion of saints. Now first, I mean, I think you understand this, but a clarification of terms. If you come from a Roman Catholic background, perhaps, maybe you see that word saints. But that's, and, and think of it in that light. That's not, these are not canonized, uh, people who've been canonized by the church at Rome. This is, this doesn't, and it doesn't mean saintly Christians, like really super spiritual, you know, high and holy Christians as opposed to those kind of bland, ho-hum Christians like the rest of us. Uh, That's not what we're talking about. It's used in this just basic biblical sense of all Christians. Christians are saints. The word just means set apart. If you're a Christian, you've been set apart. You're a set apart one we're a set apart community made up of set apart people we've we've been we have been set apart positionally so if you're a christian you you have been set apart by christ because and and by your union with christ jesus himself was set apart and and you're one with him and so now the holy spirit lives in you we're set apart in this passage by god's grace we're set apart because we've been a chosen we're a chosen race we've been God has made us His possession. We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. All that is just saying we're we're set apart by Christ. We don't deserve it. It's, It's all owing to God's sovereign grace and mercy. It doesn't have to say you're a saint, to say you're holy in this sense doesn't have anything to do with how you've lived your life this week. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. It's not about how pure your character is. Israel this, again there's a, this is where if we had more time we would open this up more but uh, these, these, these phrases in, in verse 9 are, 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 are coming right out of the language of the Old Testament and they were applied first to Israel and so Israel was a holy nation but it's not because its people and its leaders were so holy not at all it's, it, they, they weren't and so it is in the church we're not a, we're not a choice people we're not so special and so sanely we're a chosen people we've been set apart by God's Grace. God's called us to himself. So we have been set apart positionally. We are being set apart functionally. This is true. So we who have been set apart by sovereign grace now are then called to become in practice what we already are in position. And so you see this in this passage. Look down at verse 11. We're told to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So our, our growth in, in holiness, ongoing growth in holiness and being set apart, distinct from the world under Christ, it, 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 it is rooted in that positional holiness, and it's only possible because of the Holy Spirit in us. And, this is, and yet this is to be our pursuit. So we have been set apart, we are being set apart, and we will be set apart for eternity. The church has a holy destiny. Ephesians 5, verse 26 and 27, Jesus gave himself up for the church. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the church is a singular, spiritual, set-apart, holy community. And yet... What do we know? We, the church is made up of sinners. Not just as a category, theological category, but now I'm talking about sinners who actually, frequently, grievously sin. We sin. It did not, that does not go away the moment we come to Christ. So some of you are, are painfully aware of this because of your own sin, and some of you have been sinned against in such grievous ways. Some of you have been deeply hurt by the church by individual members, by church leaders, by the church as an organization, you've been sinned against in awful ways. And and I am truly sorry. I know that is deep pain that you may some of you are probably carrying and you're not wrong to feel pain for that. And I don't want you to stuff it and run away from the church, but but talk, talk with us. But the, but the church, and this local church, it's, it's made up of people who are saints, yes, and sinners at the same time. There is no other kind of church. You have been sinned against, and you have sinned against people. In this church, in the wider church. But But guard your hearts, brothers and sisters, against cynicism. Listen, don't let... Your painful experiences in the church keep you from believing in the singular, spiritual, set-apart community the church. Our belief in this church that, that, that we're affirming here in this creed and that we see here in 1 Peter 2, it's not, it's not because we believe Christians are always such nice people and always get things right. No, we believe in a holy Catholic church, a communion of saints, because we believe in the Holy Spirit who dwells in His people. And we believe he is powerful to build the church into something even that it's currently not. So the church has been set apart. It's being set apart. And one day, brothers and sisters, we have this hope. It will be fully set apart. And we will be presented without wrinkle, spot, blemish. What a day. All this is from God. Last statement. You would be disappointed if it was not an S word. Um, the church is a sent community. It's a sent community. So what we see in this passage, the church is, is our identity, and the church does. There's something we're called to. So we haven't just been given an identity, we've been given a purpose by God. Because we've been called out of darkness, verse 9 and 10, because we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, we're sent out into the world to proclaim the excellencies of the one who did that. We're, we're proclaiming pilgrims. So we're, we're sent as pilgrims. Look at verse 11 again. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This is it's not just their status, but in terms of how they function in the world horizontally. But this is, this is who they are as Christians in this world. They're, they're sojourners, they're strangers, they're pilgrims. As a, as a new spiritual community, we, we don't belong to this world. We're in this world. We, we are here, but we're, we're called to live in a fundamentally different way from, than the world around us. That's what verse 11 is about. And yet at the same time, we live this different way in the world. Among, among the world. A, a, among the Gentiles, verse 12. And so, so seclusion is not an option for the church. Isolation isn't, isn't to be our posture, brothers and sisters. We're, we're sent into this world to live as strangers, as sojourners. We're a sent community, living among the nations. And yet we're sent with this purpose. We're sent as proclaimers. We've been chosen, called out, set apart by God. Verse 9 says that you, that, there's the purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are proclaimers. And proclaiming is exactly what it sounds like. It's opening your mouth and saying the excellencies of God. I know we want to spiritualize these kind of verses like this. I just let my life do the proclaiming. That's, that's not the idea of this. This, is, this means we say something. We use words. And we, we tell. We, we say the excellencies of God. And Peter is saying, Y'all, as a community... As as the as the body of Christ, as the singular church in all of its little expressions, you exist to do that, to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now, certainly we do that as this gathered community, and we gather on the Lord's Day and we're we're telling, we're saying God's excellencies as we sing and as we preach and as we read the scriptures and pray. But then we scatter. And we go to the places God is it's taken a, it takes us through the week and we proclaim His excellencies and His saving mercy to those who have not experienced it. And we're compelled to do that because we apprehend the mercy that we've received. And that's what verse 10 is. Once, once you were not a people. This is what drives us. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we meditate upon this grace and mercy of God, it, it should fill us with a sense of God's excellencies and it should fill us with this desire to proclaim those to others, with the hope that they will be called from darkness to light and then turn into those who proclaim the excellencies of God. So, this is, this is critical. It's critical to understand that, that we are part of a sent community. This is important. One of the challenges in the, in our day is that everybody talks about unity. I mean, there's a, there's a desire, there's something. I think that's the image of God in man—a desire for people to be together. And so we'll say diversity is good. Yes, we want that. We we don't like when people fight each other. So let's let's get in the same room and let's just all get along. And the problem with that, as you know, thriving communities—they never. They never thrive because people say, hey, I, I want to be this thriving community. Let's just, let's just get together. It sounds nice, but it doesn't work. People get together when there's something bigger that we're all living for that unites us. And for us, it's, it's when people are captivated by God. It's when they go, when we, we go from darkness to light. That, and our purpose in life now is to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us into the light. It's when we feel a sense of our purpose as sent ones. And so then we will work through the boundaries that so often separate us and divide us and fracture us. Whether it be national boundaries, language, cultural, or preferential boundaries because our bigger purpose is to proclaim God's excellencies. So I believe, we believe in God the Father and Jesus Christ his only son our lord. We believe in the holy spirit and we believe in the holy catholic church, the communion of saints. We believe in the church that Jesus died and rose again to create and so if you look back in 1 Peter 2, real quickly, as we prepare to come to sing and then come to the table, verse 4, the whole passage is set up with these words. As you come to Him. Well, it's just a present tense participle, which means the habit of our lives. Coming to Him continually. Coming to him this living stone Jesus Christ who's been rejected by men but in the sight of God is choice and precious and as you're coming to him he will build y'all into a spiritual house Peter's not just pointing them he's not, not pointing us to an idea to a thought to a concept to a strategy he's pointing us to Christ See, coming to him To this living stone. How we relate to the stone. To Jesus. That's what changes everything. It's not. You know here's some ideas. This is how I think the church can get together and get along. And how the church can really. uh, You know. Grow and expand. It's by doing this. It's coming to Jesus Christ. And he will build us into the spiritual house. And transform us. And call people from darkness to light. Set them ablaze. Proclaiming his excellency. Our, 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 what we're to be doing then is to be constantly coming to Christ and pointing us to Jesus not the one time again coming to Jesus moment of conversion but this continuous action and it's not that we come alone we come together this is plural coming continually coming to Jesus together this is to be our life as a church brothers and sisters coming to Jesus again and again and again and again, being built up as a spiritual house together. And so this is what we will do. We will come, once again, this is part of the wisdom of God in giving us the Lord's day, where we come again and again to Jesus and giving us the Lord's table. We come again and again, remember Christ together. And this is what we'll come to do in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we do want to We want to come to you. We want to come to you acknowledging that we are utterly dependent upon you. We want to come to you in full faith and confidence, resting in you. We want to come to you acknowledging we can do nothing apart from you. You are the vine. We are the branches. We want to abide in you, Jesus. We come to you saying that your your purposes, your glory is what matters to us come to you needing your spirit we come to you wanting as members of your church it's your building and so as we sing as we gather at the table to eat and drink and remember christ father may may our not just the, the physical actions but our, our hearts be so inclined to come to you this morning not not as a room full of isolated individuals sitting in individual chairs but as a church May this be our posture, Lord, this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.